The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. I'd like to begin this morning just uh, with a brief reading from the scriptures uh, from Acts chapter 2 and then uh, reflect for a few minutes uh, about the ideas of Christian and technology. As I said, this comes from Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42 through verse 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Today I want to pose to you a question to reflect upon and It's the question of who sets the agenda for the church. I think nowadays we can say that with the uh, invention of the technology of social media, that this is certainly a presence in our life. It's certainly a force that shapes the way that we look and understand the world around us. According to some statistics taken back in 2014, there were 1.3 billion, 1.3 billion Facebook users spread across the globe. That means that uh, if these statistics are accurate, that a quarter of the world's adult population is on Facebook every single day. That's a, st- that's a staggering statistic. Now keep in mind, uh, I don't want you to think that uh, this is some angry rant that Facebook stinks and you're going to hell if you use it. Uh, of course not. Uh, Facebook has many benefits. You can stay in touch with family, with friends. You can build relationships. Uh, You can have friends that are thousands of miles away. Or in this particular case, you can say, Hi, Mom. I think she's watching right now. As is my (laughs) mother-in-law. As is my mother-in-law, my great-grandmother-in-law. And hopefully my brother. And if he's not, he's in big trouble. So there's all kinds of benefits, all kinds of benefits and useful things that you can do with social media. But at the same time, we have to keep in mind something that C.S. Lewis once told us, and that is with every conquest of nature, with every conquest of nature, we become a little bit stronger, but we also become a little bit weaker. We become a little bit stronger, but we also become a little bit weaker. In other words, I think we often think in terms of technology of three steps forward. When, yes, it might be three steps forward, but it might be one, maybe two, or maybe even three steps backwards. And so we have to ask this question, is social media a good thing? It can be. But is this the way that we should set the agenda for the church? Is this the way that we should set the agenda for the church? And the answer to this is no, I don't think that this is the case. Why? Well, I think the first thing that we have to understand is, is how does social media work? How does it promote its information? What we have to recognize is that uh, 
Facebook used to be, it started off as a way to keep in touch with people, but ever since it went public as a publicly traded company, it is now uh, an ad revenue machine. In 2017, Facebook generated $40 billion of profit, $40 billion of profit. And out of that $40 billion of profit, $39.9 billion, that's basically 99% of their profits, came from ads. Now, during the Cambridge uh, Analytic uh, data uh, breach that occurred a couple of years ago when uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg had to testify before Congress, he was asked how uh, Facebook handles user data, particularly ex-user data. And what Zuckerberg testified is he gave a little description that's a really insightful uh, expose, if you will, or at least a, a window into how Facebook operates. He says, let's pretend that you're a company that wants to sell skis, snow skis, to women in particular. So he says, what happens is that you will go and tell Facebook that that's how you want to, what you want to sell. They won't give any of your user data over, but what they do is they take that information, this person wants to sell skis, they see who's posting information about skis, and then they put the two together without ever trading the information. But what this tells us ultimately is that Facebook really isn't so much a window upon the world as much as it is, is it's a bazaar. In other words, it's a marketplace where you go in and the way that you make a purchase essentially is by clicking. Every time you click on something, you are generating ad revenue or perhaps even sales for somebody else. This means that Facebook is not giving you what is necessarily important. It's not telling you what you need to hear, but ultimately, rather, it's really a mirror reflecting your own interests and your own desires and the interests of your friends and family. It's not necessarily a window upon the world. So Facebook is going to make money based upon what is going to sell, what is uh, you know entertaining. Now, Neil Postman, who wrote a book uh, a long time ago, at least in terms of generations, back in 1986, I was 16, so it's not that long ago. Uh, that was the year that Top Gun was released, and of course, that's a, a fantastic year. But in 1986, Postman talked about the merging, the merging of news and entertainment, so much so that he said that it was a really troubling uh, trend. Because the way that the news media back in the 80s made money was, again, was off of ad revenue. He says, take, for instance, what you would do is he would watch an average news broadcast. You would see or hear, for example, say 30 seconds of the newscaster's broadcast uh, designated for telling you some sort of tragedy. Hundreds of people died in an accident of some sort. And then he says it would be followed by a 30-second ad for a hamburger. He says, what does that tell you in terms of the significance of the event? If you're spending 30 seconds on tragedy where hundreds of people have died, and then you're spending 30 seconds on a hamburger, what does that tell you what's truly and really important? What does that tell you in terms of what it is that the news broadcaster is trying to, 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 to tell you? 
You know, news companies will tell, oh, this is our important journalistic uh, story. This is an expose on corruption. But never forget that the news media, whatever form it comes in, TV, print, the internet, Facebook, they're in the business of selling news. They will sell you what can get the most revenue. They will sell you what will generate the most clicks. This, I think, is easily observable. Go to your Facebook page and then take a look around and see what the ads are around. When I scrolled on my Facebook page in preparation for this, I saw a story or at least a post on social justice with an ad that was equally as large, if not larger, for children's shoes at a local department store. I'm not sure how that got on there because I don't buy children's shoes. I think my wife does for my kids, which means that's how it got into my search engine browser. But there was a, a, an advertisement for a fitness-themed vacation. In other words, there was as much space to advertisements as there was supposedly to these key social issues. But on the other hand, you also have to ask the question, who is manipulating the information? Who's manipulating the information? This is something that, uh, for example, on both uh, the right and the left of the political spectrum, there's all kinds of concern, worry, and investigations. You know, on the right, they floated a video of the CEO of Google, uh, and there was this video saying on the heels of the uh, recent presidential election, uh, we need to do something about this. Can you really trust the results that you're going to get from the search engine? On the flip side of the political aisle, you have a massive federal investigation all about how perhaps uh, a foreign government meddled in the last presidential election, but one of the chief means that they have determined that they've been able to figure out how this meddling was done was through Facebook. Are you really reading what's pressing what's important? How much of the internet that you look at, whether it's social media, whatever, is true or is it a virtual construct that really doesn't reflect the world around us? You know, it's like in the last presidential election, Newt Gingrich at the time boasted that he had six times more Twitter followers than any of the other candidates that were running for office. The problem was is that he had bought 90% of them. If you want a 1,000 Twitter followers, all you need is 20 bucks. You can buy them. You can buy the clicks. You can buy the likes. And so all of a sudden, is that trending political candidate? Is that trending news story? Is this really honestly and truthfully something that is a genuine and pressing need for the church? Or is this something that has been manipulated by the economics of the Internet by the desire to get clicks and to get you to drive to traffic to various websites so that when you're looking for Bible study topics, when you're looking for sermon topics, when you're looking for sermon illustrations, when you're looking to meet the needs of your local congregation, have you really tapped into the needs of the church and of the people around you? Or have you only become a victim, so to speak, of an ad campaign. In other words, are you using Facebook or is Facebook using you? And to get you to drive more traffic through your friends and people in your church 
to whatever type of ad revenue service they're trying to get. Well, here's the question, and this leads us to is how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this? Well, certainly we should be discerning users of the internet, you know, fact check, make sure that what you're looking at is genuine and legitimate. But in terms of setting the agenda for the church, I think that the one of the most important things that you can do is be in regular face-to-face contact with the people that you are around on a daily basis. This is why we read, and I want you to reflect upon uh, the passage that we looked at just ever so briefly from Acts chapter 2, where the church, in the wake of Pentecost, they were eating together. They were sharing their needs and their goods. They would sell goods, uh, their possessions, and then give freely to others of those who were in need. You can only find out about these needs by talking to people, by breaking bread with them. You know, if you're tempted to text somebody, call them, talk to them. If you're tempted to talk to somebody, visit with them. If you're tempted to visit with somebody, share a meal with them. And then do the unthinkable, maybe. Don't just give the social, hey, how you doing? It's like my wife has to help me with this one because uh, when people say, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, not so good. And she's like, honey, I don't think that they want to know. (laughs) I think that that's just a a polite way of saying hi. (laughs) Whereas I'm like, okay, sure, I'll tell you my problems. But how about ask that question and do it sincerely? You know, in the book of James, when it says, confess your sins to one another, in James chapter 5, verse 16, it's because it's that kind of one-to-one personal interaction that you can have with someone where you can learn of their needs, their fears, their anxieties, the sins that, with which they struggle so that you can pray with them, pray for them. If the internet is telling you what is important in the world and you're not making the connection to the people around you, whether it be in your church, uh, whether it be in your community, I think that there's going to be the high chance, the high probability that you will take somebody else's agenda, one driven by money, and you will impose it upon your community. You will impose it upon your church when their real needs will go unaddressed. Get to know the people around you. Spend time with them, as the saints did in the book of Acts. But there is, I think, a a more fundamental, a more fundamental uh, way for us to set the agenda for the church. And it may seem like it's a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised as to how difficult it can be. And that is, it's the Word of God. In the second Helvetic Confession, which was written in the 16th century and was one of the more widely uh, professed confessions of faith up until the Westminster Confession of Faith, it was written in 1566 by Heinrich Bullinger. In the second Helvetic Confession, it says that when the gospel is lawfully preached, Uh, by uh, lawfully ordained ministers, that it it is God speaking to his church. So that the preached word is not just simply somebody standing up pontificating, 
It's not that he's just giving his own personal opinions. He's not letting somebody else set the agenda for the church, but rather he is having God speak, and we could even say speak audibly, to his people. I think this is one of the most fundamental points. Rather than looking to the Bible for verses to justify an external agenda to the church, finding out what the needs of the church are by getting to know them, and then looking to the word of God to address those needs is the way that we have to set the agenda for the church. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, who spoke of in his book, Life Together, which was a book that he wrote uh, recounting the life that he and his fellow seminary students engaged in uh, as an underground seminary uh, under the uh, Nazi uh, government of Adolf Hitler because they kind of had to do these things uh, discreetly and, and in secret. And he said there... It's so vital and so important that he said that you not lose the individual and that you not lose the community. If you uh, have the individual who becomes supreme, then the individual is the one who gets lost in a sea of despair, self-infatuation, and narcissism. He says, on the other hand, if you constantly seek the group, if you constantly seek the community uh, apart from the individual, then you ultimately lose your individual identity. You need both. You need both. One who wants fellowship without solitude plays into the void of words and feelings, and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. And so he says it's so important that you have both individual as well as community. But in this particular case, he says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Are you going to try to impose something upon the church, or are you going to love the people around you by being uh, in fellowship with them, by knowing them, by talking to them, by seeking to meet their needs from the word of God. This is ultimately what Bonhoeffer points to. He says that God has already laid the foundation for our fellowship. And he's laid that foundation for our fellowship in the church, and he's laid that foundation for us in the word. And Bonhoeffer says, he says, we have to be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly cross our paths and cancel our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying uh, that you should never use Facebook. But I am saying that you should use it discerningly and ask whether or not what the latest trending story is is actually a genuine need for the people in the church. Is it genuinely a need uh, for sinners that are struggling to live the Christian life? So be a, a shrewd user of Facebook and of the Internet. And don't think that the Internet can somehow be a substitute for those face-to-face interactions that the Word of God spells out for us. James says, confess your sins to one another. When Paul says, exhort one another with hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. In the end, you must rest in the Spirit and the Word of God to meet the needs of the church and to set its agenda. I close with the words 
from J. Gresham Machen in his book Christianity and Liberalism where he talked about the need to preserve the integrity of the office of ministry in, in, in terms of setting the agenda for the church. He says, the preacher comes forward not out of a secret place of meditation and power, not with the authority of God's word permeating his message, not with human wisdom pushed far into the background by the glory of the cross, but with human opinions about social problems of the hour or easy solutions of the vast problem of sin, such as the sermon. That's the way that he described the weak preaching in his day. He says, thus the warfare of the world has entered in even into the house of God. And he asks this poignant question, and this is the question that you should ask when wanting to set the agenda for the church. Is there no refuge from strife? Is there no place of refreshing for a man can prepare for the battle of life? Is there no place where two or three can gather in Jesus' name? To forget the moment, to forget for the moment all those things that divide nation from nation. To forget human pride. To forget the passions of war. To forget the puzzling problems of industrial strife and to unite in overflowing gratitude at the foot of the cross. If there be such a place, then that is the house of God and that the gate of heaven and from under the threshold of that house will go forth a river that will revive the weary world. So beloved in Christ, Think on these things. Meditate on what you read in the Word of God. And make sure that you use Facebook and that Facebook does not use you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your Word. We are grateful that you feed us. That when we ask for bread, you do not give us a stone or a serpent. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would cause us to flee to your Word that when we seek remedies for the problems that ail us, our churches and our communities, that we would seek no other remedy but what we find in the gospel of Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would strengthen the bonds of our fellowship with one another, that we would not be satisfied with simply sending text messages or seeing what's on Facebook, that we would reach out to one another, that we would seek to find out how we are doing that we would seek to minister that cup of cold water uh, to one another as we seek to meet one another's needs, to lift one another up in prayer, to confess our sins to one another, and even to sing uh, to one another with hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. In this way, we pray on the foundation of your word that you would build up your church, that we might be a shining beacon of the truth of Christ's gospel in this sin-darkened world. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.